welcome to the worship service at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Hayward, California, a multicultural church in the San Francisco East Bay that worships on the Seventh-day Sabbath, Saturday. The ministry of the Word by Pastor Paul Penno is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to forgive sin and save from sin by his cross and ministry as priest in the heavenly sanctuary the third angel's message in verity. Join us now as the service is in progress. God knows that you need a friend. As I look at you, as I look at myself, I can tell you need a friend. And God knows that. And he has a special friend in Jesus for you. In Proverbs chapter 18 And verse 24, it's an interesting saying that Solomon wrote, A man who has friends must himself be friendly, it says. Now, when I was a teenager and very shy and uh, didn't know what to say around people, and I thought that I was the only one that had that problem, You probably never had that problem. I tried to look at some mentors much older than myself, and there was a pastor that visited in our home, and his name was Ollie. And I noticed that he was a very stoic individual, and he held himself uh, erect and uh, never really interacted with me uh, because in those days children were to be seen and not heard. And uh, I noticed how he treated people, kind of um, almost standoffishly. He really didn't interact with them in a personal way, it seemed like to me. And yet I admired this man greatly because of the way he presented himself. And so I thought, you know, this is a wonderful model. I'm going to follow this individual. And consequently, uh, found that I didn't have very many friends because I really didn't extend myself. And My shyness built into me on top of it all contributed to that too. The proverb says, A man who has friends must himself be friendly. Well, I praise the Lord that as you see Jesus as your best friend, that he begins to transform your shyness so that now you become more and more outgoing and to a point where you're just like the Lord Jesus himself who never met a stranger. Did Jesus ever meet a stranger? He treated everybody as a friend, didn't he? That's the next part of the verse. Proverbs chapter 18 and verse 24. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And that has to be Jesus, doesn't it? The reason that we know that Jesus is our brother is because there's not any exemption as far as Jesus is concerned from coming to where we are at. You know, Adam, before the fall, did not have a self-conscious soul, did not have a self-consciousness, did not have a self-centeredness, did he? He was in complete harmony with God. But after he fell, he became egocentric, didn't he? And loved himself. 
When Jesus came to this earth, it says in Romans chapter 8 and verse 3 that God made him in the likeness of sinful flesh. Romans chapter 8 and verse 3. And that tells us that Jesus took a self that is like us after the fall. He took a self, but it was a self that was not egocentric, but yet inclined him to do things that would be self-serving. But in all things, he chose not to indulge self. He said, not as I will, but as I will be done. Uh, Romans chapter 15 and verse 3 tells us that Christ pleased not himself. Pleased not himself, Romans 15 and verse 3. So this tells me that I have a friend who is very near to me and not far off. That he is one who is like a brother, only he's much more than that. He sticks closer to me than a brother. I have a brother. And my brother uh, knows a lot about me because we grew up together. And he would know exactly where to push my buttons, I'm sure, to get me mad at him and start fighting like we used to when I was a youngster. We don't fight anymore. I'm thankful for that. Uh, We treat each other like mature adults and professionals in our own careers and take an interest in each other and how where we're at in life. Uh, My brother knows a lot about me, but my brother is not really close to me because he really doesn't know what makes me tick inside. He's just not on the same level. I I just can't have conversations with him about spiritual things because he's just not into that at all. Maybe you know family members who are like that too, and you do not feel like they are really friends. They're relatives, and you love them and you care for them, but they're not closer than a brother, are they? But Jesus knows exactly your struggles. He knows exactly where you're at. He is one to you who is closer than a brother. And that's because he bore your weaknesses. He took a self like you have to wrestle with every day and choose to deny. And Jesus perfectly denied self. He pleased not himself. Ellen White makes an interesting statement in Signs of the Times where she says that from the beginning of Jesus' life to the close of his life, he had a sanctified will or choice. Isn't that wonderful? That in the choices that Jesus made, he preserved it sanctified and never caved in to the self that he took of ours. And that tells us, folks, of the wonderful power of the gospel that Jesus wrought out for us on this earth. It was not just at the end of his life where he faced the cross, but his whole life was a continual facing of the cross, wasn't it? Because he had to be, he was constantly confronted with that self that we are, that orients us and pulls us magnetically to do the wrong. He faced that daily, hourly, moment by moment, and yet he preserved his choice, sanctified, and denied himself. He pleased not himself. Now, isn't that a brother who's closer to you than your own relatives? Absolutely. I count Jesus as my best friend, don't you? What a wonderful friend he is. Not only 
The other point that I wanted to emphasize about this is that though we have inherited genetically a cell from our parents, and we've all chosen to go with the pull of that nature of self that's within us, so none of us have a sanctified will, do we? Jesus took that self, yet he preserved his choice, sanctified, and that is the gospel of the power over self that he seeks to impart to you and to me. That tells us that though we have indulged self repeatedly over and over again, yet the gospel is the power uh, of God that uh, we can choose to deny self and walk in the principle of the cross with him day by day and moment by moment. Long ago, there was a missionary who was on a furlough from service. Uh, He came back to the States, and he had saved up in those days. $300 was quite a bit. And he wanted to, to buy a refrigerator that he could take back with him to the mission field. And it was a kerosene, operated on kerosene. It cost $300. He had a friend, though, um, who was about to lose his uh, or, or, or wanted to recover a pickup truck that had, uh, I guess he hadn't been able to keep up on the payments. And so the missionary loaned this friend the $300 so he could not... He could retain his pickup and not have it foreclosed by the bank. This was an old friend, and he felt very certain that this good friend would repay him his money in a short time. Meanwhile, the the missionary pursued his itinerary here in the States, and week after week and month after month, he waited to receive a check from him by mail. Nothing came. And time was getting short when the missionary would have to go back to the field again And uh, so he was getting a little worried. Was his friend unfaithful? Well, all of this while, the missionary had been receiving bank statements from his inactive account in his little hometown, which he tossed them all unopened into a drawer because he wasn't using that bank account. It was just inactive. And finally, he said, maybe I better open up those bank statements. So he looked at them. And there, months before, was a mysterious deposit to his account of $300. And all of this time, he had been doubting his friend while his friend had been faithful in repaying the loan into his account. Now, that illustrates perfectly what your friend Jesus has done for you before you ever came on the scene of history and earth. Because Jesus, by virtue of his great sacrifice upon the cross, your Savior deposited in your personal bank account, without your request, the gift of justification, the forgiveness of sins. He deposited in your bank account a full pardon, and the gift of eternal life. And all of the details of that deposit were written out. That was, I would call that the grand deposit, wouldn't you? The grand deposit, before you even came along or thought of it or experienced it. Now, the details of it are in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 3. Let's read a few of these lines together to see this grand deposit. Ephesians 1, verse 3. 
It says, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us to be adopted as his sons through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. Verse 11, in him we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. Now, you didn't, you didn't even know this. You didn't do anything to merit it. You didn't do anything to effect it. But it was all yours all this while, while your human heart was in alienation and out of harmony with God, But you needed to learn about the true good news of what he had already done for you. And then when you learned of this good news, yes, this text says that what was deposited in your personal heavenly bank account was that you were predestined to be saved in Christ. Every last soul on this earth was purchased by the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross and that deposit of redemption was put to their bank account for them to draw upon or to resist. Everyone has been elected to be saved in Christ. And when you learned about this bank account, you know, you were dealing with Wells Fargo and you were dealing with First Bank and Trust and you were dealing with... uh, um, Chase, whatever, you know. And then you learn, wow, I got a bank account in heaven. And it's got this grand deposit in it of justification. Then what happened is that you rejoiced to learn that your sins were forgiven. You were accepted in the beloved. And that contributed to a whole new quality of life for you as far as your outlook on terms of God was concerned because you knew that the gift of eternal life was deposited in that account. But it was all purchased for you at the cross of Christ and deposited into your account by grace totally undeserved. Now give some thought to the Millions of people who are out there in the world who have never understood this true good news. They have to understand, don't they? How God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Then genuine faith can grip their hearts and work the works of obedience. Think about those people out there who need to hear that good news that you know and that you're experiencing. You know, there's a prayer that we can pray that the Lord will always answer with an enthusiastic yes. Uh, Doug just read to us this parable in Luke chapter 11. A good news parable, isn't it? I think many, many messages could be based upon this wonderful parallel Here, you're all gone to bed. Your family is all tucked in under the covers on a cold night. And about midnight, you hear a knock at your door. And who is it? Some guests are on the road. And you've known them in your past. And uh, 
Here they are. They need a place to stay. And they're hungry. So what are you going to do? Are you going to say, turn them out and say, oh, go down to the nearest hotel? No. You're going to welcome them in, but you look in the cupboard and there's no bread. And so they've come on a long journey. They're hungry. Your pantry is empty because you didn't go to Safeway that day. You didn't expect them to come. And here they are banging on your door. Uh, what do you do? You go over to your neighbor's house. And uh, if you're like June Blackie, uh, when I visited her this last week, she's made friends with her neighbors. <laughs> you know what? Her neighbors really appreciate her. And they love her. And, boy, they'll do things for her. You know, So that must in- indicate that she's given them a lot of bread and soup over the years. <laughs> Uh, but uh, so you go over to your neighbor at midnight, you knock on the door and you say, let me have three loaves of bread. I've got unexpected guests. And they say, ah, go home. It's too late. Everybody's tucked into bed. They don't they do this, you know, through the door. They don't open the door. They just say, go home. You know, well, you keep banging on the door and uh Your neighbor says, this guy isn't going to go back home unless I do something about it. And so they finally open the door and they give you some bread uh, just to get rid of you so they can go back to sleep, you know. Well, that's human. Now, is the Lord Jesus like that when you ask him for bread? Because that's the point of the parable, isn't it? That Jesus is not like that. That when you ask, when you pray that Jesus will give you some bread, does he turn anyone away? Jesus never turns anyone away. That is a prayer that Jesus always answers. He always has good news for the hungry. He always feeds the hungry, doesn't he? The Lord Jesus is presented in contrast to the unwilling neighbor who must be begged and pleaded to give him a bit of bread to, to give to someone else. But you don't have to beg and plead with Jesus for some bread to give to somebody else. Because Jesus is going to give you the bread. And then you can give it to someone else to nourish them. You can tell them about the bread of life, can't you? Ask him. Seek and knock. And he will give it to you. And we become an essential part in his great plan of redemption for this lost world. We learn to participate by experience in his love for lost souls. And our naturally selfish hearts become awakened to the experience of his heart, which is love and agape. Now we're one with him. We become reconciled to him. We are at one with his heart of unselfish giving. And there is no greater joy of life. Like I mentioned to you at the beginning, uh, I'm basically a very shy person. Still am. And not naturally born to be outgoing. The only reason that it's different for me is because Jesus has shown me the wonderful grace of loving people and cultivating what it means to be outgoing. I want to be like Jesus, don't you? Jesus never met a stranger. I want to be like that, don't you? Where everybody is a friend. 
That's, I believe, the best about everyone that I find in life. Jesus saw in people what they can be and would become in his power and in his grace. He saw in people the miracle working power of Christ. He was a believer in people, though they were sinners. And that's why he saw everyone as a friend. I want to be like Jesus, don't you? I want to think the best of people. I don't want to think of motives that drive others. I don't want to think of things that I can criticize in others. I want to think of each individual as what they are and can be in Jesus Christ. In Christ, I want to be the most outgoing person I can possibly be. Get outside of this shyness. Break out of the box. That's the way Jesus was, a friend to everyone. This last week, we had an interesting funeral service right here uh, on Thursday for one of our beloved uh, elderly women of our church, Ruthie Mora. Finally learned how to spell her name correctly because of this funeral. I used to think it was spelled M-O-R-A, but it's two R's. And it was Ruthie, not Ruth. Well, any of you who knew Ruthie or visited her, you know that she was a very optimistic individual. There wasn't a pessimistic bone in all of her body. And um, at this funeral, there were opportunities for individuals to get up and to say things uh, about Ruthie. And one gentleman started it all off, and from his remarks, um, he started talking about, well, you know, this death now, this is just part of the cycle of life, you know, and this is what we go through as humans. And as he was going on, I thought, you know, I've kind of heard this language before. It really sounds familiar. And this gentleman is very well spoken. Uh, I don't know very much about him. Uh, he spoke, spoke very confidently and intelligently. And uh, so during the, my remarks during the service, I happened to say something about, you know, the greatest love story in all the history of the world is the love story of Jesus giving himself for sinners and dying for them on the cross and manifesting the agape of God. Well, following the cemetery service, we came back to the social hall and we were eating there and enjoying the hospitality of the ladies that they had provided, the food there. And uh, this gentleman and I had occasion to connect and to talk together. And I found out that he was a professor, a teacher. And he identified himself as being a Roman Catholic. And he lived over in the state of Nevada. And he had come over for this funeral. And he said to me, it is the greatest love story of all time, isn't it? And I said, yes. Now, that's what he picked up from all of my remarks, the love story of Jesus and him giving himself on Calvary for us. You know something? The message of the cross connects with people. It connects with people, doesn't it? It brings people together. It warms 
hearts. And I can't help but believe that God has many honest-hearted souls in Babylon, in Protestantism, who, if we will share the wonderful story of the cross and what, it, what Jesus, the cost that, it, that he had to pay for our redemption, that their hearts will be drawn closer and closer and no longer be alienated from him, but they'll have a truer understanding of the character of God. Is the Holy Spirit your friend? Jesus is your friend. Is the Holy Spirit your friend? You say, yes, of course, but think. Jesus says that the first work of the Holy Spirit is to reprove the world of sin. Is that any fun? (laughs) Well, the doctor does a a test on you, and he determines that you are... uh, that something that you didn't know, you didn't know existed, that you have a lethal disease. You haven't felt any symptoms, but from all of his diagnostics, he determines that something needs to be done because you have a lethal disease and you feel okay. Nothing has been really worrying you, but he says that you have to do some drastic action now. Is that fun? Is the doctor your friend? Only a nurse could say that. (laughs) She said, yes. (laughs) Now suppose that this doctor has many, many patients, all with a lethal disease, which they don't want to recognize, and suppose they all reject his counsel to do something, even though the doctor is genuinely their friend. How would that make the doctor feel? Wouldn't he be unhappy? Doctor's going to feel unhappy, isn't he? Is it impossible to conceive of a patient being concerned for the reputation or happiness of the doctor? You know, patients are usually consumed by a me-first mindset. Few make appointments to inquire, Doctor, how are you doing? And I would like to give you, doctor, a treatment. Few, if any, are concerned that he not be forced out of his business. You know, the good news is that the Holy Spirit is reproving. He is convicting the world of sin. The bad news is that most who need help, because the Holy Spirit has some patients, that's sinners, most of his patients reject his reproofs and his convictions of sin. So that Satan hopes that in the end, the Holy Spirit will be proven to be a failure. Satan's last hope is that the people of God will reject his reproof and be involved in the general ruin that is coming on the earth. But there's a better reason to listen to the Holy Spirit's conviction of sin than our own little personal issues of salvation. Did you know that the Holy Spirit is the true vicar of Christ? The Holy Spirit is the true vicar of Christ. And his job is to convict of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. And in listening, in receiving his reproof, in giving up the sin, he convicts you of, in giving that up, in being crucified with Christ, you are honoring Christ. 
You're honoring the Holy Spirit. In the last battle, which has been raging for thousands of years now, which we call the Great Controversy. So the Holy Spirit is your friend. He is your doctor. Now, will you be a friend to him and listen to his diagnosis? Will you say thank you to him for his work? By the way, next time you go to the doctor's office, why not say thank you to the doctor too and say, would you like a treatment of love? (laughs) I have some good news for you. You've been giving me the treatments, now I want to give you the treatment. Here's the good news for today. And you can make him happy too. You can be thinking of your doctor's honor, but mostly in agreeing with the Holy Spirit regarding sin and of righteousness of judge and judgment. Uh, we bring honor and glory to Jesus and to the Holy Spirit. Now, You're delighted when a friend tells you that he or she has been thinking about you. Uh, Yesterday, you know, I forbade my wife to go to work all week long because she's got near pneumonia. I kind of think she's walking pneumonia right now. And um, I forbade her to go to work. (laughs) That didn't do any good. (laughs) She went to work for five days and then came home on Friday and crashed. And... um, when she walked in the door, I, I said, how are you feeling, honey? And she said, oh, it's been a long day, and I'm just, just completely worn out and tired. And she kind of had a downcast look about her. But there were two things that happened yesterday afternoon after she got home that brought a smile to her face. And number one was a $25 gift certificate that Macy's mailed to her. <laughs> I see the ladies like that. <laughs> But then the second thing was that her friends from church remembered her and there was a box of flowers from the women's ministries there. And she really, that brought a light to her face. Thank you for doing that. (laughs) Isn't it good to be remembered by your friends? I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. You know, somehow these two connected over the Internet. Interesting now, people don't know how to find each other, you know, in everyday life, but they can connect on the Internet. You know, that's the way it is today. Well, these two connected on the Internet. There's Hadayat out there in Turkey and Carrie here in America. And the story is that Hadayat's business tanked and his creditors came a-knockin'. And you have to understand that in this Muslim country of Turkey, uh, if you cannot pay your debtors, if your business tanks, you're thrown into what is called debtor's prison. You know, now, you can't, they cannot do that to you in America because the con- you have a constitutional right that you cannot be thrown into debtor's prisons. But this is done in other countries, and it's done in Turkey. So Hadayat was facing this unless he had a systematic payment program for his creditors. And so Kerry connected with Hadayat over the Internet and made it his business to send regular payments to Hadayat in order to keep him out of prison. In the process, Kerry, being a Christian, shared Jesus to this Muslim halfway across the world. 
And for this Muslim, Jesus is a totally foreign concept. But he is learning about what a true friend he has in this follower of Jesus Christ. You have been given bread from heaven by Jesus. And he is the only source of bread. But as he gives the bread to you, you can share it with others. Right? The good news of God's love. The good news of the cross. You know, um, I'm firmly convinced you'll not get me off of this track. It's the cross. It's the cross. It's the cross. Lift it higher and higher and higher. Let it be the focus of your experience and what you share with others is my prayer in Jesus' name. Join us again next time for the word of God which will feed the soul. I am committed to bring you the fullness of the gospel as Jesus has revealed it to us in order to prepare a people for his soon coming.